Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-host Nathan. The intricacies of the Ukrainian struggles during World War II can be a deep and expansive topic. However, author Hrasena Lutsik-Berger has compiled her 15 years of research into two immersive fictional retellings. This week, we speak with Hrasena about her works, her process, and the real-life stories behind her new releases. Hello, and welcome to another UK Life Abroad interview. Today, we are speaking with Hrasena Lutsik-Berger, the author of numerous works, including The Woman at the Gates and Souvenirs from Kiev. Welcome to the show, Pani, and we're excited to talk about you and your books. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. I think this is our first interview with uh, an author as well that has uh, written about Ukraine and their books. So <laughs> that's oh, a first as well for us. Really? Wow. Yes. Yeah, we're very glad to have you here. So I think we should move on to our first question. You, you grew up in a first-generation Ukrainian diaspora in America. And what was that like for you? Um, I, I can tell you right now. So um, I always felt like I was moving between two worlds. And I had my Ukrainian world at home, which included Plast and Ukrainian folk dance, Monday nights, Plast on Saturdays. Uh, Ukrainian church, and then I had Ukrainian church sometimes twice on a Sunday because my mother was Orthodox Ukrainian, my father was Ukrainian Catholic, and the two churches were right across the street from one another. Um, we went and hung out with the gang, which was my father's um, folk singing group called Accord. And so every Sunday, all of us kids, we kind of grew up and, and experienced all the rites of passages together as well. Um, and we spoke Ukrainian at home. So I had that world that was um, very, very present. And then I had my American world. And I think um, I remember most is always having this, this sense that I was Ukrainian first and American second. And I remember arguing with my fifth grade teacher when we were doing geography or, or history or something. And she said, you guys are all Americans. And I stood up and I said, no, I am a Ukrainian. <laughs> and she says, yes, but were you born here? <laughs> and I said, yes, but it doesn't matter because we are all returning to the homeland. <laughs> and that, that really, um, that will give you the sense of what was happening inside our household. You know, these discussions with my grandparents and, and I come from a family, it's it, watching my big fat Greek wedding. I, I was laughing so hard. Um, I had to go and watch it a second time right afterwards because I watched this and I thought that is my family, right there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It, the, you remember the guy who says, uh, you know, Greek, every, every word, uh, has a Greek root. I seriously had a grandfather who said every word that you can think of has a Ukrainian root. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, when they're going to uh, to Greek school, like at the end of the movie, and I was like, yes, yep, that reminds and me of Yuki school every Saturday. See, and I, that's the other, how could I forget Yuki school? My, my grandmother taught there, she directed the choir, you know, I mean, um, yeah, so being Ukrainian was very, very present in my life. Um, and we thought it was cool. My brother and I and, and the kids that from the gang, we thought it was pretty cool that we could speak a different language. 
Um, and we had a lot of fun, like telling our, our American friends who would come for Easter um, that Kovbasa, we called it snake meat, you know, <laughs> so, because they'd be like, why does it look so weird? We're like, oh, because it's snake meat. You know how you, you, you have to do the yeah. Kovbasa in this like coil, you know? Yes. <laughs> so, so we'd say, actually, we, yeah, my, my father went out, killed a snake and he put it in the grill. Yeah, so, so, so that well, was a little bit about growing up, but a lot of tension. Um, and when I was when I was growing older, and after I, I went to college, I started to slowly understand about the differences between the organization of Ukrainian nationalists and Sum and Bandera and Melnik and all of this. And I started going, okay, um, I don't get it, you know, but it was there, it was present. Yeah, like we had a very similar thing. Uh, thing growing up, especially for my family, since I'm also a uh, first generation Ukrainian family here. And I always had the same sense of um, I was Ukrainian first and then Australian. So I never really considered mm -hmm. to be like truly Australian in a sense. And yeah, and we had the special thing where when once everyone finds out your nationality, they're like, oh, can you like do some cool stuff or can you say some cool words? And uh, I remember performing twice uh, at the talent show or like cultural festival that we had at school. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I'd do like Ukrainian dancing and a off. Not my amazing yeah. moves, but pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And they'd be all surprised and shocked. And then they all try and mimic and they'd all collapse and fail. <laughs> we were just so proud, you know? And I, I remember, uh, our dance troupe was the highlight at the um, <laughs> at the Minnesota uh, Festival of Nations every year. You know, the highlight. We got all the encores. We were like, oh, and we were all walking around just going really proud. You know, where are Ukrainians? So a, a lot of our viewers that follow our podcast were born um, after Ukraine was uh, had gained its its independence. So we would like to know. What was it like for you growing up in a world without a f independent Ukraine? Yeah, like I said, it was very, very present in the discussions or in the every holiday. Um, it, the political arguments would eventually start. And we kids, that's when we said, okay, we're going to go and play. Um, and all the, all the adults are going to start yelling at each other. Everybody had a plan on how to save Ukraine. Everybody was involved um in making sure that the general public understood that we were not communists and that we were not happy that ukraine was under communism um and like i said this this political tension this nationalism was was like practically tangible um and also yeah i i, I think i learned it pretty much later but um the idea really was, I think, from the adults, not from my my mother's generation who came as very young children to America uh, so much. And I, I really feel for them because they really struggled to have an identity. You know, um, they were born sometimes in a DP camp like my mother in Salzburg. So she never even experienced Ukraine, but yet this, you know, there was so much about you have to be like this and we have to fight for that and you need to be speaking the language and we're Ukrainians first, right? 
And this trickled down to the first generation that was then born. But the idea, and I didn't know about this, like I said, until I, I think I was 16 or 17, where somebody said, hey, we're all gonna move, move back to the homeland. That had been the plan, you know? But then people got married and people started um, um, having children and families and lives and, and God forbid that we married an American, you know? <laughs> That would mean we couldn't leave as soon as the as soon as the wall crumbled. You know, my grandmother, even when I married my Austrian husband, she said, "Christina, Christina, možno ukrainčio, znate?" And I said, "Hey, you know, Austria's closer to Lviv than in America." So, looking at your published works, a lot of them do focus on the. Early nine, uh, early twentieth century during World War One or two, and especially with your Ukrainian-focused books, you focus on World War Two. What was the inspiration, or what was your view that led you to write these books about World War Two? So um, it's a thirty-year journey, um, and I'm pretty excited because yesterday the Woman of the Gates was released, um, and I would say that has been the work that I have been trying to get out ever since I started um, on this trail, um, on this on this trip through my family's history. Uh, I wrote a historical novel, not really. I had no idea what I was doing back in two, uh, 2005. And it was on a very, very limited thing. I self-published it. And, uh, and I handed it out to all my relatives and I said, okay, I got it down, right? Um, but it wasn't a novel. It was it was um, an account, and it had all the details, all the research that I had gone through. And the whole thing had started with my grandmother. My grandfather was also an author, and she was actually, if there had been such a genre at the time, she was also a historical fiction writer, um, mm -hmm. because she wrote about the Hitmane and the Cossacks, and she wrote plays and poems and stories and novels. And even after she moved to America, she was still publishing with, um, I want to say Ukrainian Weekly, uh, or it could have been Nove Shlach, I don't, I'm not sure anymore, but and Svoboda, for example, in Canada. So she was still very active in doing those things. And I, I, she would be clacking at her typewriter until 3.30 in the morning um, in the room across from us because she lived with, with our family. And when I started writing stories, she would put me in front of her typewriter. It was a Ukrainian typewriter, right? So at that time, my Ukrainian mm. was pretty darn fluent and I could, I could write the stories with her Ukrainian typewriter. And I loved it. There was nothing better than having those keys under my fingers. It was so cool. Um, and to also have her support um, and, and her encouragement to tell these stories. And then she got ill. I was in... I was doing pre-vet med in university in Montana. And I got the call that my grandmother had collapsed and that she was in hospital. And now the, the conversation was, if she does survive this, she had a um, pulmonary heart failure, something like this where the heart is drowning. And uh, mm -hmm. so I got the call and I arrived to say goodbye to her essentially. And she said to me, Kotik, um, I, I think you should tell my story. And I took that as, please translate my works from Ukrainian into English and make it available to the public. Again, you know, what was very 
impressed upon me was that we were a misunderstood culture. People would say we were Russian. People would say we were spoke Russian, you know? Um, and so it, it seemed to be like everybody was heading towards, you know, let's make sure that the media, that the people, that the general public understands what Ukraine is and that it is an independent and individual culture and country. So, like I said, I had interpreted her request to be to start translating her manuscripts. Now, my grandmother had shoe boxes, like these boot boxes that you would buy at Dayton's or at Woolworths, and they were filled with manuscripts because she wrote every day. I mean, like seriously, every day. Yeah. And I thought, I will never get to my own writing um, if I ever do this. <laughs> My plan, by the way, was to be a veterinarian and support myself, my writing by being a doctor, the first doctor in the family, quote unquote. <laughs> so, um, so I made this promise to her, not really realizing if I was going to be able to fulfill it. And years passed, not, not too many, because I actually, I graduated a few years later than from University of Minnesota. I had returned home and switched majors. Um, and when I graduated, I was watching a documentary on the Statue of Liberty and I kind of fell asleep. And I'm just gonna say, because I know some people understand that this kind of thing does happen. She visited me in her in my dream. And, uh, and she said, no, 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 no. I want you to tell my story. And I woke up and there was a Statue of Liberty on television, I went, she's talking about how she got to america she's talking about her our family history um and i told my mom about this and my mom's a history buff and i told my mom about this and she goes great idea and she got me a cassette tape this is how long ago it was <laughs> she got me a cassette tape player and a recorder and and she said now go sit down with your other grandmother with your babunya and you know get her story down and this was one of the most fascinating things I have ever done in my life, even till now. You grow up with your family. You grow up with these people. You celebrate your heartaches and your joys, and they give you money every birthday, Christmas, Easter, whatever. Yeah. These are the people with whom you have a life. And it isn't until you actually sit down and ask them, where'd you come from? that you begin to understand who these people are that you have spent an entire lifetime with. And suddenly you begin to understand why they are the way they are. And this is, this is the first step towards empathy. It's the first step towards compassion, but most of all, it's the first step towards understanding. And this is the one thing that everybody kept saying, we want you to understand where you come from. This is why we make you do the things that you do. This is why we want you to speak the language. This is why we do that. We uphold the traditions. We want you to understand where you come from. I 100% agree. I find it's a very, very important thing that we have to maintain the culture, even in times when, let's say, Ukraine um, didn't exist. I often think of countries, yeah. uh, also like ethnicities, like the Kurds, for example, who don't do not have a recognized country yet they have continued to keep their culture and their traditions alive, um, despite the fact that they yeah. don't have any recognized country. And so, you know, those kinds of you know, ties to not just family, but to culture are, are essential. And it's important that we 
not only learn from our elders, but we also pass it down to our children as well so that we can keep it alive when there are times like now where yeah. you know, the um, independence of Ukraine is being threatened. So when we're looking at, let's say, uh, historical fiction, it's, it's very important to make sure that the facts around the historical side of it are correct because I always get the feeling that that gives your story much more credibility when those facts are um, you know, uh, in line with the real events of history and you can tie it in and it makes it feel more real. So I was just wondering, how exactly did you go about doing your research for these books? I began uh, the interviews in 1993. Um, and I was, I was hoping to go into journalism, which I did for a little while and such. I, I was an editor and did magazine editing and so on. But um, that was a very, very interesting process. So I'm just going to give you an example. I sat down with my grandmother, my babunya, and she told me the story about how um, the Nazis drove into her village and how she escaped with her mother um, through the back door of their home. And she told me the story of how this had come across and everything. And then I asked a question about what happened afterwards or something in this direction. She goes, I don't know, you're going to have to ask your uncle about that or your great uncle about that. And I thought, okay. And back then, um, memoirs and women's fiction was becoming really, really huge. So my first idea was to get all the women's stories down and publish that. But because I had to fill in so many holes, I started talking to my great uncles. And then I said, no, what I've got here is within my family. Um, kind of like what I say is a sliced apple and trying to put that all together, you know, back into a hole. And what was fascinating was sitting down with my great uncle who was on that day at the same place at the same time as my grandmother, but hearing his version of the story. And then listening to his brother's version of the story. And I realized this is going to be really difficult. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Memories are selective, number one. Memories are selective. And we're talking about memories. I mean, this again, it was 1993. So we're talking about, you know, 40 years worth of memory or 50, 50 years worth of memories, you know? Um, mm. And, you know, if you ask me now, I'm 52, ask me what I did when I was 12. I'm going to... First of all, I'll probably pick something when I was seven and, <laughs> and tell you, but that's really how it was, you know? Um, I mean, I'm starting to understand how it is, how it was for them, but I got these stories down. That was the first thing is I, and I had, I think over 80 hours worth of interviews by the time I was done through, front, through my family, through the, through the generation that went through World War II. Um, and then I had to start transcribing them, but what was absolutely clear to me, and now in 1993, I was pretty young, yeah? Um, what was clear to me was that I didn't have a clue about World War II. Like, I had no idea why the things that had happened had happened politically. I had no interest in politics at that time in my life, right? I got interested. I got very interested. <laughs> But it took me 15 years of research and I became like your biggest World War II buff. The mistake that I made was, is I wanted the big picture, you know? And um, I don't know if you guys know Picasso's Guernica. It's a huge mosaic. 
And by the time I was done with my research, that's what I had was this enormous picture of the world in World War II. And somebody told me, they said, Christina, just focus on the Ukrainian story and not even on the history, focus on the people. You know, you've got their stories. But I needed, I needed that knowledge. I needed it to kind of untangle this mess. And I, I said this about in The Woman in the Gates, um, which was the novel that came out yesterday. Uh, when, when I was writing this one, it was like taking a pot of red hot borscht and then trying to withdraw all the, all the individual ingredients, okay, to figure out how that borscht had been made. I, that was really the process. But I had, yeah. I had my great uncle's memoirs, um, uh, which got him into a lot of trouble in 2014, actually. Uh, I had the tapes that I transcribed and translated at the same time. That was, that was a big deal. And then I traveled to Europe, but this is how I ended up in Austria in the first place. Um, I decided what I needed to do was I couldn't understand the fear and the anxiety, um, the disorientation that they went through. And I wanted to get that onto paper. And so what I did was I traveled to Europe by myself and I purposely put myself into dangerous, high risk situations. Um, I, I wanted to go to Yugoslavia during the war just so that I could, you know, feel it, be there in it. Um, like I said, I, I was very interested in journalism and I was this close, like really, really close to just volunteering and saying, you know what, I'll just start writing for newspapers as a freelancer or whatnot. But I really wanted to experience that. So I, I lived in Poland. I was in Ukraine. Um, I traveled alone. I was, I was out in the middle of the night in big cities, you know, um, I needed to feel that disorientation, that that my family had felt when they were fleeing two fronts. They were fleeing the Germans and the Russians, you know? So that was part of how I did my research. But it took me up until now to get the story down right. It's quite a while. Yeah, especially when you're going to try to actually get the individual stories and individual perspectives from the people. Although it's a long process, I would, I would argue that's the better process because you're actually collating all the different experiences of those people together. And I think that's you know something to be commended for. Thank you. Um, it's really hard writing about people that you know and love, you know? Um, it's yeah. really hard writing about people and, that you know and love and realize how many, how much pain they went through and how many regrets they had. Um, and I don't think I did the story justice until I fictionalized my characters. So what I ended up doing was I compounded all of these stories, all of the people that I knew, I threw them into that pot of borscht and I made something else out of it, you know, compounded, spliced. And then I created completely fictionalized characters that, um, that then shared my family's anecdotes. And I'll tell you this right now, anything that seems, um, implausible in the stories that I wrote is probably the ones that are true. <laughs> Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week for more Ukulele Broad content. <laughs>